Welcome to The Healthy Beast and a welcome back to the jiu-jitsu doctor, Mark Barton. Dr. Mark Barton was a doctor working at the sharp end of medicine in A&E. He came on the podcast before to talk about how he gave it all up to become a full-time jiu-jitsu instructor. He's the head instructor at Kingston Jiu-Jitsu in West London. He's a great guy and he brings that medical perspective to the delicate and deadly art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Welcome, Mark Barton. So, Dr. Mark Barton from Kingston Jiu-Jitsu, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. Good to see you again. So, how have you been? Yeah, very well, very well. Training hard? Uh, training training a lot, yeah. Um, just, you know, the usual, usual it's rigmarole. Full, it's a full-time, full-time job for you? Yeah, I'm now, I teach... A, not, I teach or train about five days a week, so I've dropped it a day. I used to do about six, and now I'm, I'm sort of have a couple of days where I'm, I'm resting my body now as I'm getting a bit older. Wow, six days, six days a week. I was six days, um, and just we've just sort of restructured how we, how we're running everything at the moment. So I tend to to teach four days a week, and I'm up at Rogers with Maurizio uh, on a Tuesday usually, and that's the sort of pattern of my week. And what do you do when you recover? Do you have to do you just take time off? I mean, recovery is eating, sleeping, <laughs> hydrating, stretching, you know, just generally resting. But so just, and, and I do a sort of mixture of, 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 of things appropriate to how my body feels on those days. But I generally have a day where I do very little. I might have a, like a prolonged, gentle sort of stretch, but nothing too aggressive on that day. But other than that, very little else. Um, in the week, I try and fit in, you know, a couple of sessions of yoga. But I'm, I'm talking like not going out to a yoga class. I'm doing twenty, thirty minutes of stuff that I've just, co- co- you know, cobbled together over the years for oh, myself. So you know enough. That you know now that I've, you know, I've been doing yoga for six or seven years. I'm not a yogi or an expert in it, but I know there are certain stretches or certain movements that help my body um, loosen. How do you feel about all the yoga chat? Because I'm going to a lot of yoga classes at the moment to recover. And I, I think it's amazing for what it does for your body. Not sure about the, you know, the Sanskrit. I, don't, I, mean, I mean, my yoga is, I mean, I've never really gone out to classes. Nick showed me quite a lot of stuff back in the day that he was doing. Uh, and then I did some of the Sebastian Bro stuff online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some other people. I've got, a, I've got a friend called Marvin who is a yoga instructor. And I have done a lot of his sessions, but he tends to tailor things more for jiu-jitsu. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, and now there's, I know which parts of my body tend to take the strain the most because of my, my shape, my size, my age, the style of jiu-jitsu that I play. As you're um, saying, I'm sitting, yeah. sitting back, stretching my back. Because, yeah, you... You know, so, so lower back. You know, lower back, shoulders neck hands really for me are the things that I can I, I tend to work on and I think that for a lot of jiu-jitsu guys those are the common things um, some people have more upper back problems than lower back but for me it's always been lower back uh, and I just tailor a little routine that I do that's about 20-25 minutes long that tends to work on those areas and I try and fit it in a couple of times a week and if I'm stiff or sore in any particular area more I might concentrate more on that but I'm not when I say yoga I don't even know if that's the right term for what I'm doing. You know, it, it's you know the movements based around yoga that maybe Marvin or Nick has showed me over the years that I like, that I find helpful, that I probably have no scientific evidence behind that they're helpful, but I find that they help me, and they help my recovery. So I tend to do that. 
Yeah, I think you can just take it as decent stretching for yoga. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sensible stretch, right? A sensible... It's a sensible stretch, but yeah. there's a lot of chat. You know, there's a lot of, you know, that the yoga is not about the movements. It's the, it's well, the maybe meditation. maybe I'm not doing yoga so. then. Yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah I, but I don't know. I think you can just go and you can you can get a lot of benefit from the stretching. I mean, but. There, I mean you know, if you do like... A, sometimes I'll do like a good solid hour of very gentle light stretching. I think, you know, there's a sort of meditative aspect of that you relax you switch off a little bit your mind can wander but you know it's not that that's the goal for me the goal is trying to get, get my back moving a bit better or you know loosening up my neck you know that sort of thing but it does for, for me it does have that effect the same as you do a decent class of jiu-jitsu your mind's in a completely yeah. different place from when you went in yeah definitely and I think yeah. like whether it's whatever you call it as long as you've you've sort of transformed yeah. yourself yeah, I'm in not. Way. I've tried over the years to to meditate, and I'm not particularly good at it. I'm quite, I've got quite a quite distractible, but quite an active mind. But I find things like the yoga, or just doing jujitsu, or going for a run, or doing you know that helps me sort of centre myself and and feel a little bit you know more um, relaxed and, and and in balance with with myself. So I guess what works for you, but I'm not a I'm not a sort of meditation guru or anything like that. I wouldn't claim to be so, or a yoga guy. I mean, it's, these are just things that I'm doing for my own personal recovery and benefit, really. I'm reading a book about this at the moment. There's a guy coming on, um, a monk, who's written a oh, book wow. called A Monk's Guide to Happiness. Oh, wow. So I'm midway through listening to this. Gulang, Gulang Tupton, I think his name. I think I pronounced it right. I'm about halfway through. And it's, and it's, it's, it's weird to listen to it because like in some ways I totally agree with what he's saying yeah. and it all makes perfect sense but I've, I've got so, so much resistance to it because I'm, <laughs> I'm saying to myself why am I listening to a yeah. monk telling me how to live my life so there's that which I'm, I'm yeah. and, I, and I'll, I'll say that to him when I talk to him because I think that the resistance to it is, is part of it I mean I, you know I've had friends and you know, training partners and people who are quite aggressively into meditation and you know and that kind of thing and 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 use of yoga as a as a as a tool for making you you a better person and that kind of stuff. And, and, and I'm not dismissive of it, but it's just not something that I am personally doing. Maybe I should be doing. But it may be that you're doing those things in your life without thinking about it. Maybe. Because the, the reason I, I mentioned the monk is because when you said you're not very good at it, mm. lots of people say this, and I found that. So I used one of the meditation apps for a while, and then the guy's voice started to annoy me. And yeah. like I couldn't do that anymore. But then I started going to yoga a lot, and I realized that I was doing the same things in those yeah. classes. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean... I'm going to give Marvin a bit of a shout out because he, he teaches uh, a yoga class at our place and over the years he, he does uh, these work, afternoon workshops or sessions they're like two, two and a half hour long and he calls them restorative yoga sessions and if he does them I try and get along because it, it, they firstly they make you feel fantastic in terms of loosening everything up and getting rid of tight spots in your body but long periods of them you're lying in not a very uncomfortable pose or position in a very relaxed state of mind and you do tend to sort of just drift away and your mind drifts and he's talking and that kind of stuff so I think there is a a meditative aspect to what he's doing there uh, and and he's maybe sort of 
sneaking that in without you you realizing but and it can, it can be powerfully relaxing and you know you can feel really quite you know fantastic afterwards and and um yeah i found those those sessions with him very 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 helpful and very beneficial yeah i think it's um i think this i think the idea that it's a a skill that's difficult to acquire is probably true in some ways in that you you're supposed to like try to get yourself in certain states I'm saying this like I'm an expert I've read half a book but um but equally the failing the the the, the mind wandering yeah. is part of it apparently so you so when you when you're kind of you know you're concentrating on yeah. your breath or whatever you're doing and then you start thinking about something mundane you've got to do yeah. later on and you bring your mind back yeah. to the breath that the the failing is the is the human side that's you, why you know, you've got two guys who know very little about meditation but yeah i mean I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot about uh, a lot of benefit to it and maybe it's something that i should I, I should try and do more in my life but it's not something i've had success with or i mean or enjoyed but we were talking before about um how much time people spend you know, doing staring at their phones yeah. and playing silly games I think not doing things like that yeah. is probably the biggest a great big step towards whatever it was you were hoping to achieve yeah. for meditation because you seem like you like a kind of peaceful guy who's doing something maybe we should say because we talked about this last time you were you were a doctor in accident emergency for years so you did like that's the right, most yeah. stressful job in the world one of the most well, stressful okay, yeah, yeah, it's pretty right, stressful yeah, you know, it's fine maybe if you're doing that whilst <laughs> yeah. being shot at as well yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah pretty much it's, it was pretty stressful yeah yeah horrific stuff and now you're doing something teaching jiu-jitsu full-time which you clearly brings yeah you peace, i mean it's right definitely not as stressful <laughs> you yeah. know i'll say that i mean it's a i mean i love jiu-jitsu i absolutely passionately love jiu-jitsu and i have done almost since day one and uh, and I get paid to to do that for a living. I mean, I can't complain. That's and rewarding, and people you know people come because they want to do it. It's fantastic. I mean, you know, all the guys on the mats they seem to to you know love what they're doing as well. And they enjoy the training, and you see how much pleasure it brings to people. I mean, that's a fantastic thing. I mean, I don't. I, it's um it's very difficult to to describe. I think the the, the benefits of jujitsu, and I think it it, it, it it's something that extends far out of the gym into other aspects. I mean, you train. I'm sure you've felt the benefits. In oh, definitely. Yeah, it's made a, a huge difference to my life. A huge difference to my life. You know, I was... I'd trained... I'd done lots of striking before and I'd done a bit of jiu-jitsu years ago, but I was 40. Yeah. And I was 40, injured. Yeah. Just thinking, well, this is me now. Yeah. You know, this is the... So, so what, 40, 50, I'll try... Maybe go to the gym a little bit and try and... Spy. As far as doing sport, yeah. it was over for me. And so got back into jiu-jitsu and, and you know, to, to be... You know, for actually getting really into it, getting better yeah. at it and competing and all this kind of... It's amazing for me. This it's, difference in my life has been huge. The competing aspect's interesting as well because, you know, there's, there's not many sports or competitive sports that you can do start at age 40 and then go and compete at a high level in your age and weight category with other people the same sort of age as you the same sort of experience level as you and you can go and have a meaningful you know tournament and and, and have the opportunity to compete for a medal you know in that division I think that's a lovely thing about jiu-jitsu and you know you've got guys who are in their 60s competing at blue belt level 
you know, I've got a guy who's in his mid to late sixties who's a purple belt, who's keen to compete, and you know, as and and there are that he there will probably be one or two other people in his age yeah. group, and and you know, it, that's a fantastic thing, right? It's not it's not an a uh, it's not a exclusive sport that only young fit athletic people can do and if you do it you'll become more athletic you will become biologically younger I mean it's a it's a phenomenal yeah it's fantastic and the the competitions you know whatever the age of the category they're going for it trying to (laughs) and then and then having a a proper laugh together afterwards yeah I mean I've got some fantastic friends that I have to this day that I met at competitions and competed against them and I've fought against them and lost or fought against them and won but regardless you know you have a bond afterwards and I have I, you know I've got a, I've got a friend um, Patrick Patrick James who runs a, a really successful academy over in Dulwich Tricks Academy I fought him in in a competition he beat me beat me pretty soundly but it was you know we had a we, we had, it was a it was a it was a good fight I enjoyed it we got off the mats afterwards had a hug stayed in touch ever since we do interclubs together now Oh, so nice. my kids compete against his kids in those competitions. We have adult competitions where we compete against oh, each other. We meet cool. up. Um, he's a fantastic guy, and and I would never have met that guy and and fostered that friendship if I hadn't competed against him in a competition. And I've never had anything else in my life where I've had that kind of interaction with people. There's yeah. no animosity when you walk off the mats. There's just <clears> a, a, a camaraderie and a friendship that you, you that you you have together. Um. And, uh, and you know it's quite unique, I think, from that. From yeah, you just when you when you see people you've never seen, they come in the club. They well, you welcome yeah. everyone in, and like yeah, we have people, you know, they're on, on holiday from America and they drift in and they fit in like they've been training at the club for for years. Yeah, you know, you've got that common ground. You've got that jujitsu. You, you know. Which is sort of a, I, I feel I, this is awful because I can hear the monk's voice in my ear again. But it's how we should greet all other people. Mm. So. So it's like you've got this thing with jiu-jitsu, so um, you know you you, you recognise yeah. other people, and you know there's that level yeah. of respect yeah. because you know they've gone through some stuff and been choked <laughs> yeah. out a few yeah. times, and they've realised that they might be quite good, but they know there's someone better than them. They there's know there's yeah, and no, it's no one's throwing no one's throwing their weight around. Everyone's just everyone's just chilled out. But yeah, yeah it's, it's sort of how we should be with all people we meet. But for some reason, yeah. we've got that we've got that kind of. Resistance I, to. I guess it's like a sort of, almost like a tribal thing, isn't it? You know, you've got your jiu-jitsu tribe, and we're all together. We're like one family, you know, and and then you embrace each other, and you know, but like you said, we should that should spill out into all aspects of life. You should treat everyone that way. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what's nice is what's nice with jiu-jitsu. You you can just invite people to join. Yeah. So you know, I'm at I'm at um I'm at my kids' school and my. My kids are both training regularly yeah. now. They're nine and six. That's great. And you know, other parents will say to me, "Oh, such and such is having a so he doesn't like bring yeah. them to jujitsu. Yeah. Bring the chin. and you come as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. there are ladies' classes if you want. There is, you know, uh, I should mention Roger Gracie Academy in Richmond now. Elevate changed. Yeah, yeah. But so you know, we've got tons of the kids' yeah. classes are rammed in there. Yeah. There's there's people of all ages all the jiu-jitsu I mean I've got loads of friends who run jiu-jitsu academies Trent obviously is a very good friend of mine who mm-hmm. runs Evolve in, in Richmond and Elevate I think El- Elevate, Elevate sorry it's Elevate it's Elevate. brand new yeah, name yeah, Elevate Evolve. sorry yeah it is Elevate maybe Evolve will be better and, uh, but no I think Elevate's better <laughs> <laughs> what is it Elevate 
martial arts and yeah I mean actually I had a conversation with Trent in the garden about the name over there I did, and, and I kept calling it Evolve that day as well okay. so he's not going to be happy when he listens to this but I think Elevate's a fantastic name but all the academies seem to be busy and I think um, there's just so many people interested in jiu-jitsu at the moment and obviously you've got uh, a lot of famous people doing jiu-jitsu who are uh, promoting the sport and making it more visible uh, you know Tom Hardy obviously and you know uh, what's the face Demi Lovato is doing jiu-jitsu isn't it and then there's Russell Brand is doing oh, jiu-jitsu yeah, yeah. and they're all talking about it and Keanu Reeves has been doing jiu-jitsu and so there's all these things you know Henry um, Cavill Superman you know oh, it's trains sometimes well. you know yeah. and, and so, so and I've seen some of these guys on the mats you know personally and they, they go out and they talk about it and they, you know, they spread the good word and it makes people interested and I think more and more and more people are becoming interested in, in, in jiu-jitsu now Russell Brown was on a, I had him on a podcast I can't remember which one and he was complaining about not getting his blue belt yet that's what I'm saying I've been, he's been training for ages thinking, you know and, and when I get my blue belt I'll, probably, I'll, I'll do something on social media it'll be good for the club I'm on what you're he's got his blue belt now has he now yeah, he's got Sorry, his, yeah. Yeah. in fact Maurizio was, was there I think when he got his blue belt um, because he trains with with I, I don't know this for sure but I think he's he's one of Kev Kapal's students or he's connected to Kev and obviously Kev's quite close with Rich so, so, so I Maurizio think, Gomez is your Maurizio Gomez is my is my instructor your instructor yeah. and he's one of the like massive figures in the I mean he brought jiu-jitsu to the UK I mean they call him the godfather of British jiu-jitsu so um, Roger Gracie's dad Roger Gracie's dad um, a legend of a man he's I've, just I've, an amazing guy I've only met him once where he inflicted some pain on me it was in, a, in a seminar you know he just dem- yeah. he, dem- he comes and demonstrates moves <laughs> he's a lo- lovely guy somewhat abrasive style of jiu-jitsu and I that's my style today as well I'm proud to to, really? to, to have that Maurizio Gomez so that, um, that hard that sort of hard simple sort of style I, I mean he's I don't know any I don't I don't know of anyone that I've ever met that has such an amazing understanding of all of the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu. So he's got such a comprehensive knowledge of all of those fundamental things that you need to make to make your jiu-jitsu um, sound and, and make it work well. Uh, he doesn't, I've never really seen him playing around with like fancy inverted modern guards and that kind of stuff, but his game is, his body positioning is always perfect. His weight distribution is always perfect. You know, um, he 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 has an unbelievable, comprehensive knowledge of jiu-jitsu. I've never come across it with anyone else, and I guess he's been doing jiu-jitsu for fifty odd years since he was five years old. Um, but yeah, his game there's it's it just works. It just works really really well. So it's not that he's trying to hurt you. It's just that his weight distribution is so good and his you know his positioning is so good that he's obviously you're going to be at maximal discomfort when he's in those positions yeah and um, you know he's famous for his neon neon belly neon neon chest really the way that he plays he plays his, his knee comes straight if he's doing it and he you know in, and he wants to do it properly he's, he's riding across diagonally across your chest across your ribcage and he's, he's a he's a big you know a big strong heavy Ish man, I mean, I think he's in his mid nine, mid ninety kilos, something like that. So if if you know you have that knee riding, you or on top of you in the mount, on top of you in side control, 
it is going to be uncomfortable. I can still remember the first time someone did neon belly to me. Yeah. You know, and I was still a white bot, and I was thinking, this is horrible. You know, this is horrible. I yeah. just don't know what. I just don't know what to do. I couldn't. You know, it was it was a part of my game that Maurizio. I wouldn't say he's completely fixed it because I, you know, I still have issues with retaining it. But man, I love that position now, and that's something over the last five years that he's given me such a a, a great place. What, using it, using you, yeah. using that neon chest position because you know you've got such great access to the to the neck and, and the arms, and you know there's so many submission, you know, so simple submissions available to you that that present themselves well. Uh, but yeah, he's you know maybe the best in the world at that position. Right? Really, he's. World famous, you know. Raphael Lovato came over recently and um, trained at Rogers, and was asking, you know, and was asking Maurizio about that and wow. how to help him with that. And went on social media and was posting stuff, you know, about how it's like completely game changing. And it is. He's wow. just, if you get the opportunity, anyone that's listening to to go and train with Maurizio, and you know, if you can go to one of his seminars or or you can get up to Rogers and go to one of his classes, it, it, it's mind blowing. It's yeah, just a he different does. level of, of. I've been to yeah. one the one seminar here. It was brilliant. So, do you mess around with any of the complicated inverted <sighs> stuff? I have a you know time you to can time. Do, can you, you know, there's yeah. some, there's, you know, there's. But do you teach it? Do you? Um, well, everything that I teach, I like to think is is important, and people should know. Of course. Um, and the, you know we and you know we have the, the way that the way that we, we we sort of teach and this is not just me this is you know the other guys that teach Alan and Andreas and Yang and Claire and all the other people that teach at the academy Salam we all we sort of follow a, a set pattern of, of so we'll we'll have three or four or five weeks we'll be working on a, a position and it's not up you know the, the instructors themselves can teach what they want within that position but personally I tend to teach more sort of fundamental basic stuff because that's what I use in my game but we I will teach you know obviously we will spend time on positions that maybe I don't use that much you know I don't play a lot of spider guard my hands are very stiff and sore you know I've been training jiu for a long time I don't like to use spider guard but we will still I will still teach it I still have things that I can teach in the position even if I don't use it because obviously it's a position that has a lot of value but I'm not one for Inverting much and bearing bowling and that kind of thing because, you know, I'm trying to look after my neck and you know my upper back and that kind of stuff. So I would prefer to keep myself in uh, in body positions that are advantageous for being able to train long long term. You know, it also seems to me you can you might have a different opinion on this. Is it, when when people are upside down on the floor. It seems to me to have gone a bit too far away from combat, it, it realistic does, yeah. combat. It does. You know, would, no, you, you, would you use that in a street fight? No. Probably I mean, not. I don't, think there's, I don't think, not in a street fight, I don't think there's ever any, any scenario yeah. outside of a, outside of it's, a it's, map it's, it's where you would use it. It's more competition based. But that doesn't mean it, it's not fun. And if you're competing a lot and it works well for you when you compete, I see the value of that. I would, I personally would try to my own jiu-jitsu try to make the stuff that I use myself and the stuff that I teach applicable to self-defense as well so you know if you're doing an arm bar from close guard that's applicable to self-defense mm. right? you know um, is jumping guard applicable to self-defense probably not is it you know if someone starts a fight with you in, in, in the pub or something are you going to jump guard probably not 
You have know, to be very comfortable yeah. with your surroundings. You know, it's maybe going from like a Tom and Aggie <laughs> yeah. into, a, in, into a guard pull. Maybe that is. Yeah, you know, you, you, you know, arm control, foot on hip, you know, and maybe, maybe there's, that's more relevant to me. But, you know, obviously we've got guys that compete as well. And you need to have an understanding of what people are going to try to do to you in a competition. So if you have no uh, experience of, you know, of playing, you know, leg pummeling and, and you know inverting and, and, and doing the bread and bowler and stuff like that even if you don't use it in your game it's, it's you should you should probably have a knowledge of it and an understanding of it because people will try to use those techniques on you in that situation and if you don't understand them or you dismiss them then I think that will uh, be disadvantageous to you under those circumstances if that makes sense yeah so I suppose you've got to know what everything is even if you yeah, I mean, you should try to have a, a good broad overview of all the things that can present themselves to you. Yeah, that's what I've tried. That's what yeah. I've been trying to do. Trying to work on things that I'm bad at, which is yeah. probably in life as well as jujitsu. You know, thing just just sort of shying away from stuff because you find it a bit difficult, and then you can just end up doing the same few things you. That's, I mean, that's that fantastic life advice in anything that you do. So my son's starting towards his GCSEs preparing his GCSEs at the moment he's gone into year 10 I think it is whatever they call it now. whatever it is now it was you know, not, like when we were, not like when we were um, but I've noticed that the things that he enjoys the most that he's really really good at he'll spend hours studying those and the things that he's not very good at you know he'll shy away from And but it's the things that you're not very good at that you probably need to practice more if that makes sense yeah I yeah, think yeah. so but in jiu-jitsu I think there's also a, a, you know, a sort of counterpoint to that. That if you know, if if you do certain, if you've got a handful of techniques that you do really, really, really well, you might not need that many other techniques. Does that make sense? You yeah, know, you just have to have a. If you you know you don't need to know a thousand techniques. If you've got three sweeps that you know those three sweeps work always fantastically well for you, do you need to then learn another hundred sweeps? Well. You might get bored of those three sweeps, so it's, you know, for your own enjoyment, you want to add extra techniques, and you know you want to get better at more techniques and that kind of thing. Um, but you might not; you might only need to be uh, really, really competent at a very small number of techniques to be a very, very effective fighter. Because you had a lot of injuries when you were coming up, didn't you? Early stages. But, yeah. did, but did you didn't you didn't get disillusioned with it at any point? Did you? Or? I mean, you went, so disillusioned, <laughs> disillusioned with the injuries. You know, you don't oh. like you don't like being injured and, and the time off the mats. But I just wanted to get back training. Mm. Um, some of those injuries I trained through. I mean, I had lots of back, lower back problems for I was almost three years. I was really struggling with my lower back, and it's completely better now, or you know, almost as as good as it can be. Touch wood, but. The, the the main issue was not me getting disillusioned with jiu-jitsu it was being disillusioned with not being able to do jiu-jitsu so were you close to thinking that was it there was there was one point I had the um, I had uh, a, a, an issue with my, sh- my, my, my my left shoulder where I had uh, arthritis in my clavicular joint and, mm-hmm. the, and, the, and I, I was in a, a lot of pain I couldn't sleep and it went on for months and months I was a blue belt I had steroid injections into the shoulder and then they were talking about operating on it and the operation is you, 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 they cut away about an inch of your clavicle it's about six months recovery time before you can start to, to do some light training again after the operation 
and at that point as a blue belt who's working you know I'm working in a and I'm doing shifts I'm thinking to myself is this compatible with my life am I going to be able to continue to do this you know is, am I really going to have this operation you know rehab for six months you know start back at it you know I'm only being able to train a couple of times a week because of my shift pattern at that stage and I, and I, and I guess at that point I had to, to give pause for thought but luckily I managed to avoid this, the surgery and rehab the shoulder without it and, and I got back on the mats a, a, a lot quicker I'd like to think that I'd have always gone back to jiu-jitsu and had the surgery but I don't know yeah I had four months out this year mm. which is rough so I, had a, I, had a, I had an ankle operation, an ankle fusion. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Which was, yeah, quite fairly. I, I think when the doctor was telling me about it, you know, when you, you hear what you want to hear. Mm. So I was like, yeah, just do that and keyhole surgery back on the mats in a couple of weeks, yeah. But it was, yeah, I mean, it was three months without weight bearing. So then, then, Three months yeah. non weight bearing. How is it now? It's fine. It's really, it's really. So good. when you say it's fused, you, you, isn't how much any movement? It's, it's it's not much worse than it was before because oh, okay. it was messed up before. Um, I had a pilon fracture, a horrific okay. fracture, that is ten, good. eleven yeah. years ago. So you've got loads of metal and metal plates yeah. in there and stuff. And the, over the ten years, the joint had just degraded to the yeah, point where I had a big spur that was. Yeah. So I would stand up and my, I would have to kind of click through the spur. So the whole of until I had it done in May, the first few months of the year, I'd kind of train once a week and yeah. be in agony anyway. So it was finally, my wife forced me to go to the case. Basically, you start, stop limping around. Like that. Yeah. So I had the operation and, and yeah, I mean, it was a, a month of high spirits and then starting, you, your, my mood was sort of going mm. down and down like that. It was a rough few months, but now, now that I'm back, and I'm, I'm training differently as yeah. well. So, I think you have to when you've got something shitty like that that you have to get through you have to try and turn it to your advantage so now I'm just I think it's just made me appreciate more and more just normal life because yeah missing jiu-jitsu is important but not being able to walk yeah. is obviously a massive bummer but but now I train I'm I'm just being very uh, prioritising health and training yeah. even more than I was before so it just really kind of asking myself what's what's the best thing to do for my health you know what eating the yeah. right things and training right yeah. and so really trying to be honest and thinking today what should I do today and, it, and if it's if it's yoga even if I prefer to go to jiu-jitsu yeah. so I'm basically doing I'm doing something every day but I'm doing more yoga than jiu-jitsu yeah. and, and kind of slowly upping the jiu-jitsu but also rolling in a different way because I mean yeah. I was one of these guys who was sort of you know sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. blue belt right I'm still I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm still, yeah. I've, I've been a blue belt I've been a blue belt I've got a really faded yeah. blue belt um, so but I think I'm, I'm, I feel like I've broken through that now and yeah. I go in there now and I, I'm not trying to tap anyone I mean you know and, I, and, and I'm not if someone yeah. gets me in a position I'm not I'm not trying to wrench my way out of it because I just think I'm just trying to see it as not it's not me fighting people it's just going and doing jiu-jitsu and I think and just kind of being involved in it and, and seeing what happens I actually had this moment where there's this guy who, that guy there does all this um, 
Eddie Bravo shit. Okay, he's yeah, one of those yeah. ones where you. I think I know the guy you're talking about. Because he's got long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah looks yeah, like Jesus. Yeah, that's. I, yeah, I, yeah. I saw him rolling with Carlos the other day. Actually, yeah, no. and he was playing rubber guard. Yeah, and, and also which makes my knees hurt just to watch. And he's one of yeah. these ones where you know you take a few months off yeah. and they've been training like mad. So he's a, yeah. he's a real handful. Um, but I found myself instead of thinking, "Oh, you're getting me, I'm getting you." Who's winning? I was I was kind of observing it and thinking, "Oh, yeah, that's yeah, interesting," yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not and not trying to and and like if you get caught by someone being you know pleased for them, you know, and yeah. not being not it's yeah, just, I mean, you're just yeah. trying to remove the aggro aspect of it. No, no one, no one loves being tapped. But it's not a problem no. getting tapped. You know, you, you know, I, you know, I get tapped all the time. You know, so. Um, but that's but that's yeah. but, but do you remember a time when you were you always okay with that, or do you, was it was that part of your journey? No, I was definitely with? not always okay with getting no. tapped. No, it's best you know. <laughs> um, but I mean, obviously, my jujitsu has got better as time mm. goes by. Everyone's jujitsu gets better as time goes by, and as I'm a small guy. I'm five foot seven, you know, I'm about 70 kilos. I think I probably got tapped a bit more than some of the other guys, particularly in the early stages. But now my defense is pretty solid because, you know, you know, if you're a small person and you're physically weaker, uh, you know, than, than the, the guys that you're rolling with and you're all at the same level, then generally the bigger, stronger guy at your level will, will, will win. You know, and it's only really when you elevate your skill above that person that you have a chance to to, to equalize that. So for the, for a long time, the biggest priority for me was just trying to shore up my my defense. And that's probably the best part of my game now is is you know escapes and 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 and, and protecting myself in in bad positions. But just going back to the, you know to change the subject a little bit because I've lost my train of thought. But that the, the talking about us. the. the um, the the, the 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 tension and and you know for want of a better word that sort of aggression that a lot of blue belts particularly early early on in that blue belt bring into the role it, it for me I think one of the big problems with that is that it's almost like there's an on off switch so you tap hands and you just go and then there's just like a flat out you know 100 miles per hour pace until one of you taps the other person and that's usually both people and what what I've tried to do over the years is develop like a set of gears so instead of just being constantly everything tense everything switched on always really really physical and aggressive in the style of jiu-jitsu that you're playing like that competition kind of situation that you can run through the gears but it doesn't mean that you can't use your that strength and that explosiveness but just use it at you know, points, important times during that role. So you might need to use your strength and explosiveness to get out of a choke or an escape or whatever. But if it's been constantly on the whole time, then there's no, firstly, there's no differential. So your opponent's going to be able to detect what you're doing much more easily because you, you know, because of your intention, because of the the way in which you're pushing all the time or pulling your arms are extended or whatever. Um, but also you're, you're going to get tired very quickly. <laughs> And you know you're not going to be able to pace yourself throughout that role. So you know I can have roles with people that they might go on 10, 15, 20 minutes now, where you have extended periods of time where there's not a huge amount happening. It's very technical, very cerebral. Blue belt roles aren't like that. Hmm. You know, it's just a, a death match. You know, oftentimes. Yeah. And, yeah. What I, I've started to. I, what I've 
started to notice is when other people are wasting their energy. I yeah. start to recognise it in other people. So you think, well, if someone's really coming yeah. aggressively, would you think, well, if you can just... I monitor my opponent's breathing. Yeah. I listen And I listen and feel their breathing. You know, and I always try and have my breathing slower and more steady than my opponent's. And that's not always the case, you know. No, you know, hardly ever am I going to be breathing less hard than Maurizio. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because of that, intent, you know, that that that, that there's a, you know that experience difference, that technical superiority, that weight superiority. He's stronger than me, even though he's in his sixties. You know, he's a physical specimen still. Um, but for the most part, I'm trying to be breathing more calmly than my my opponent. And if and I know that one of the first times you know the first indications during a, a difficult round that I know that I'm starting to turn the corner or maybe I'm starting to, to get an advantage just if I can feel my opponent starting to wear out and I can feel his breathing rate elevating you know so I think you know you can monitor that in your opponent you can feel when you're starting to wear them down a little bit hmm. I mean there's obviously exceptions to, to that but yeah, but you can only you can only work with what you've got can't you? yeah. I think it's being relaxed to think well you know if you are going to if you are going to lose for whatever reason, it, it's just part of it's just part of part I mean, of the game, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, just, are you losing or are you are you just learning a lesson? Yeah. You know, it's just a learning opportunity, isn't it? You know, I was rolling with 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 one of one of my brain belts, Andreas, uh, Wednesday night, so two two nights ago, and he's been he's he's a big John Danaher fan fan, and he's using this Danaher back system, and. Um, and he, he's sort of tweaked his, his game a little bit and he got into some really interesting positions on my back. We were rolling from, from back control and I wasn't used to it. And, he, and the way he secured my arm, I mean, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get my arm out and he, and he caught me with an arm lock. But from that, I'm like, it's made me, I've gone away and I've thought, okay, what, what could I do differently in that situation? And I, you know, next time when I roll with him again, he might catch me again with the same thing. But eventually... You work it out, and your game will have jumped a little bit. You'll have you'll have a you, you'll have a situation where you, previously you were in a in, in 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 a disadvantageous position where you you couldn't protect yourself, and eventually you'll learn how to maneuver out of that position safely. And the only way you'll get there is by putting yourself in that bad position and getting tapped. Mm. If you always hide from that and you won't allow someone to to attack you and put you in bad positions, you'll never learn how to defend it. So, so the key is so the key is not being pissed off. It's just to think, oh, that happened. I wonder yeah. why. I mean, I'm still going to try. I'm going to try even on his back. I'm going to try and tap him. I'm going to try and escape. I'm not going to give it, give that arm away. But if he's doing something good, and it's and and you're struggling with it, then it, there's there's value in exposing yourself to that situation and getting submitted. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to lose that like fighty. No, you can't because it wouldn't be fun if it mm. wasn't. If it wouldn't be fun if it wasn't fighting. No, we wouldn't do it if it was yeah. just. I'm not. I'm, you know. It's, Definitely, I'm not saying just let everyone get on you and tap you willy-nilly. That it, what I'm saying is, if there is someone and they're putting you in bad positions and you're struggling to defend those positions, then get back in there and have a go at defending that position. Fight, you know, give it your all, but don't be scared to get. Don't. Be, sometimes you. Can, sometimes I'm rolling with people and I can feel they're just very, very, very defensive and they don't want to try and do anything. They don't want to try and advance their position because they're worried that they're going to leave you an opening and. I think that's, you know, that's fine, and it's good to keep yourself safe and be cautious when you're rolling and, and that kind of thing. But also, if it's stopping you 
from attacking your opponent or, or trying to advance your position because you're too scared that you're going to lose position then I think maybe you're losing out on something there you're missing an op- a learning opportunity you know, a, you know go for things you know, try things, you know, throw your legs up, you know, go for an arm lock, go for a choke or whatever. And if you lose position because of it, then learn from that. Why did I lose position? Why did, why did that go wrong? And then come back at it next time. That's how you're going to improve your game or one of the ways you're going to improve your game, I think. Yeah, I think that's, I think that, that sounds like it's right for me. The first thing is loosening up. Yeah. Then, then, then being okay that you might get, you yeah. might fall into bad position a bit more, and, and realizing that that's that's part of loosening up, you know. Yeah, I, you I try some stuff sometimes, and I'm like, oh man, that was a really dumb thing to do, you yeah. know. I, <laughs> I'm in a real bad spot now as a consequence of a bad decision, but you've learned from that, right? I remember the one time I learned something off the internet, and it and it looked really good. Yeah, it involved, yeah. And, and it involved immediately, immediately <laughs> like gift wrapping myself. Yeah. But they didn't they didn't mention that in the video yeah. I watched. So I thought I'll stick to the classes from now rather than trying to. Well, I mean, there's great stuff <laughs> online. There's great there's great tutorials and videos on the internet, and um, there's loads of resources. But yeah, sometimes it can be difficult to differentiate the wheat from the chaff. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, so, but if you stick to, I mean, if you you know. Like, um, if you stick to, to well-known people, if you go to Rogers, Roger Gracie TV or whatever, because you're, you're a Roger Gracie affiliate, and, and we, you know, we're with Maritza, it's, it's the same stuff, really. It's the same family. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they do a lot of stuff differently, but there's a lot of similarities. But you're not going to go far wrong watching Roger teach you something and then trying to apply it. Do you know what I mean? But, in, you know, it, it might be if there's someone you've never heard of you know, in a no-gi gym in the middle of, you know, Tucson or something, you know, that, that might, you know, that guy might be fantastic, but I don't know. You know, yeah, you might, a lot you're of not sure what you're, there's no filter, is there? You're not sure what you're getting. I think particularly at white belt, blue belt level, it's very difficult to interpret all this information that's coming at you and what's good and what's not. Do you compete anymore? I haven't competed since brown belt. Have you not? No, I haven't competed as a black belt. Um... Do you don't, but do you, I, because for me, I, I, I really wanted to compete because, because I did a lot of kickboxing and I never competed. It was mm. one of, you know, I did some, I did some of that kind of point fighting stuff, yeah. it, but I never did proper kickboxing, even though I trained to yeah. a high level and got my black belt and stuff. But I, and it, and it was one of those things as I left it behind, yeah. it really, it, it, it bothered me because it was like, it was like something I hadn't, hadn't finished. So when I started to do so, I wanted mm. to compete, but. No, I've, done, I've not done loads. I've done a fair bit, and if I didn't, I haven't competed in a while. But if I didn't do it again, it wouldn't bother me because it's not yeah, particularly I mean, what it's about anymore. Because I mean, you're competing I'm all the time, you know. That worried about it really. Um, it's not. I don't feel a, a, a sort of driving urge. I did. I did at purple belt. I wanted to compete, and I did a little bit at brown belt, and then I've just. I think also I've just got out of that kind of that habit. You know, it's been a long time now. It's been about you know, probably three years since I've done a competition. And whereas, you know, you're competing four or five times a year, six times. I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, massively, uh, you know, competing every weekend or anything like that. But at least you're in that kind of that groove. You know, you know, you know, you keep your weight right. You know, you you, you know, you, you got your you got your routine going in. You're used to moderating those inevitable nerves that you experience on the day and that week before for me was always difficult I was always you know always talking to myself in my head you know you know different scenarios are coming up you're worrying you you know there's there's everyone I think has a degree of competition anxiety no matter how experienced you are 
just kind of got out of that groove now. I just don't know if I, I just don't know if I have that desire or that hunger to to go and do it again. But do you the competition anxiety? Did you find it a positive thing? Or yeah, I think you know it's look. I've spent I spent pretty much most of my adult life experiencing chronic anxiety in situations that were out of my control in the in A and E. You know, yeah. so so I'm quite used to being able to look very calm in very mm. you know in situations where I'm stressed I don't think anyone would ever notice but you know I you know you and I both know both competed that you feel nervous when you go out mm. and you feel nervous before you go out but so does the guy you're fighting against mm. that person's going to feel nervous too they're going through all the same physiological responses that, you, that you're going through they get in the same release of those adrenergic neurotransmitters they get it's, it's a physiological response it's not a mental thing it's a physiological body response that you're experiencing you're, you, you know you are you know, it, those are it's a normal it's part of human physiology it's fight or flight response isn't it you know, you, you, you know certain things are going to be released into your system as a consequence of that acute stress that you're going through at that point in time but you do it a lot and it and it it you moderate it moderates itself. You get more used to it. But I think if if you're too calm and you're not nervous as well, then you get that um, decline in performance. So you know you need a, you need to be able to balance that um, that stress response. You know and keep it in the right. If you're too super, if you're super calm and you're super relaxed and it doesn't mean anything to you, then you're probably not going to perform optimally. If you're overwhelmed by the nerves and you're shaking and your heart rate's off the charts and you can't control that adrenergic response that you're experiencing then your performance is going to tail off as well so you want to try and harness those nerves it's easy to say right mm. you know but this this, that, this applies to many things you know I, I I played competitive rugby for like 15 years to a reasonably high level I would get nervous before every game even though I was playing every week I was playing competitively I would I would have tummy upsets and nerves before the game. I did hundreds half of exams. Scrum, half or up, 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 yeah. He would always disappear. Where, yeah. <laughs> where's Me too. He's taking, Me too. taking his shit. Yeah. Me too. Every time. Every time. Every, every game. Every, I, must, I, can't, I must have played hundreds of games with rugby and it never went away. Um, I did karate competitions. Every time I'd get the same nerves. I mean, I went to medical school. I did postgraduate exams. I've lost count of the number of stressful exams I've done. Everyone, I would go through that same physiological response. I never managed to com- to, to completely get rid of it, but I think that there is a there's a performance enhancing aspect to that response as well. If you if you understand it and you know why your body's going through that, if you know, okay, I'm about to have a fight with that dude over there. Okay, he looks big and strong. You know, I probably look the same to him in his mind you know so he's going through it as well it's okay we're both in the same position we're going to bump hands in a minute and all that's going to go away and I'm going to start to have fun anyway and that always happened the nerves always stop the minute you do that and then it's just it's just it's just great then I never never hated the fights I always enjoyed the fights it was just a run up Mm. it's just that it's just waiting to get out there and get going you know I think yeah, I've, I found it. I, I would find as soon as I'd booked my, you know, you'd go on yeah. the website, and as soon as you'd book your name, and you get that, it's not an unpleasant feeling. You just that kind of like, right, we're on then. Proximity, isn't it? So I would always book a comp like three months in advance. Mm. Feel, woohoo! Can't wait. I'm gonna get myself in better shape. I'm gonna be, you know, peak fitness when I get there. It's gonna raise my game, and that would feel. I would feel great. And then about two weeks before, you'd be like. Mm. 
you know that comp's coming up now you know however you know however long and then the week and then two or three days before I'd always be like a kilo too heavy I'd all you know I'd always be second guessing myself I'd be having my worst training you know, my worst performance when I'm rolling with my guys I'd be getting tapped more than usual or you know it's always these things and playing your mind and then you want to go and do well right I don't want to turn up and just be a chump and lose right. you want to go and win you want to go and win at, you know you want to go and give at least if you don't win you want to give a good account of yourself as well so the annoying thing is it's the when you lose that you remember <laughs> that's yeah. the terrible but, thing you but, win all then, of them you lose one if, you know if a hundred people turn up for, for a competition 50 people are going to go home straight away yeah you know yeah, so, no. do you know what I mean so you have to remember that as well and um and for me, I think the main driving uh, force behind me competing when I was a purple belt, because I, I didn't even start competing until I was early, mid-30s, probably, was I was teaching. And I, and I had guys who wanted to compete, and I hadn't really competed much in jiu-jitsu. I'd done a lot of other stuff competitively at that point. So I needed to know what it was, what it was like. So I needed to go do some competitions so that I knew firstly how to prepare, at least I have, have an insight in how to prepare to help my students prepare. I also needed to know what it was going to feel like for my students. I needed to understand the rules well enough, and I think competing or refereeing, both of those are, are excellent ways of learning the rules. So you know, I, one of my main motivating factors as well, that I wanted to, age 36, become Purple Belt World Champion, I wanted to be able to be a good coach. I wanted to be able to, to help my students prepare themselves for that competition at that stage, you know? Um, now we've got a big comp team and we've got Andreas looks after the comp team and he still competes regularly and, and and I'm less involved in it but at that point it was really important to me to know what it was like I didn't want to be a guy that, that had never competed and I'm taking teams to a competition and trying to tell people what to do I think I, you know that yeah you've got it, to have yeah, you know, I yeah think you've so. got to you've got to have given it a go do you, you need to have done 150 comps and, and won 50, 60 medals no because are your student, how many of your students are going to go to 150 comps and, you know, how many Oli Geddes are there in the world, you know, there's not that many, most people are going to do, they're going to have an interest in it and they're going to want to compete, they're going to say, Mark, I'm really interested, I want to, you know, take my jiu-jitsu to the next level, I want to do this, I want to do Surrey Open, a blue belt, you know, Master One, you know, can you help me get ready? And like, can I help that dude get ready? If I've got a guy who, you know, is killing it in all the comps and wants to go on and compete at the Worlds and everything I'm going to help him in a different way by putting him in touch with other people that I know in my in my circle that are going to have more experience at that level and be able to help him help him more at that point in time if that make, if, I think if that makes sense yeah definitely the other thing for me it's good, it was good for the they said the weight thing it was good for you know you've got to, got to be a certain weight by a certain point because I, when I yeah. started I'd been, I'd been training for a couple of years and I, and I think I mean, not that long because I said train. I competed at white belt as well, but um, I was faced with: Do you want to be a fat heavyweight, yeah, or, do yeah, you, or do you want to be yeah. at the weight category you should be at? You know. Well, for me, it was always a choice between light and feather, and I was right on that edge. You know, sort of walking around seventy, seventy-one. So, do I cut two kilos and go feather, or do I just go in as a very small lightweight? Um, Ollie actually took me aside and said, Mark, you're not a lightweight frame, you're a featherweight frame. So I then cut and did a couple of comps at featherweight. But I, I didn't enjoy not eating <laughs> very much. And um, No, I've, I've, yeah. done, I've, done, I've done medium and medium heavy. Yeah. But, um, and so one I can do just turning mm. up and not, not, having, not worrying about eating yeah. and one I have to be pretty careful 
to get down yeah. to because I'm, I'm, na- I'm naturally more into the 80s. But when, when, I, when I started, I would have been heavy, heavy, yeah. heavyweight. And that's just having a pointless, yeah. a pointless I think extra if, few kilos it, of fat that you that don't point, need. Yeah. And I wasn't like, I wasn't yeah. like a fat person, you know, I was in, you know, probably... For like everyday person. life, yeah, but in a jiu-jitsu like, competition. But yeah, yeah, you know that you've got an extra few kilos that you really don't need. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're just going to be fighting bigger yeah. guys because you're because of your eating choices. But, but you know? ironically, my best performances, my my, you know, my couple, the couple of comps I did the best at, were when I competed as a tiny, slightly pudgy lightweight. And but I I went in, I'd yeah, had like, the same. Actually. I'd, I'd had a mine full cooked breakfast, yeah. you know, eating what I wanted, you know, had a had a you know maybe had a donut an hour before the fight or whatever, and I didn't have to worry about cutting weight or any of that aspect. I took all of that anxiety out and I felt sometimes just stronger physically at my natural weight than I did when I really got super skinny and every time I cut to feather but I used to damage a ri- I used to get rib injuries all the time every time I would cut to feather I would pick up a rib injury so I think I just had no padding too small too light um, so if you're doing a competition you know if you can try to in the run up uh, you know, maybe get one of your friends to be a ref and another one of your friends to be a fighter and then go out in the middle of the mat, set a timer and do the whole thing under a competition situation, do that a few times. I think that can help moderate that anxiety and I think that happens in all in, in, in all walks of life and whatever you're doing. When I first started uh, being team leaders in recess in, in, in A&E, I used to get very nervous and obviously you don't want a nervous wreck running a trauma call or a cardiac arrest or a paediatric trauma or a paediatric arrest or whatever and so in the medical world we do sim simulations so what you would do is uh, and some places have set sim rooms now and, and I've done it, done it at certain places where you've got a, you've got a two way mirror you've got a, a, a patient or a dummy um, with a scenario and you have to run that scenario in a, in a lifelike situation where you know, you're going to have to administer drugs. You're going to have to, you know, there's going to be, there's going and there's going to be like uh, some of these are almost, you know, like Kobayashi Maru, I think, in Star Trek. You know, you can't beat the scenario. Some of these sims are almost. Un- I didn't. I didn't do the Star Trek. So, so, so they're almost un. You can't win. You know, there's always something going to go wrong. Yeah. You know, so you'll have like a plant in your team. So you might say, can you give a milligram of morphine or? Or, you know, two milligrams, and they give like twenty-five milligrams, and all of a sudden your patient stops breathing for no reason at all, and you're like, "What the hell's happening?" And you have to try and work out what's happening, and and you they do things deliberately to throw you. to throw you, yeah. And uh, someone will do something wrong, and then they'll video you, and then afterwards you go back and you watch the video and you analyze your performance, and then you do a number of these sim training days, and then all of a sudden when you're in the actual situation, you feel calmer because you've come across a lot of these situations before. So. I think one of the one of the nice ways in which you can overcome some of those anxieties, whether that be in something that you're doing in your work, or whether it be just training jujitsu, or just you know just doing a competition or whatever, is try to put yourself in that situation or in a similar situation that can mimic that. Um, and I think for comps, you know, I'm not like I was never a big competitor. I just want to get that clear. You know, I did, you know, I did a, a few comps at purple belt and, and, and brown belt level, but definitely one of the things that I did when I was preparing was I would make sure that I tried to do mock fights you know simulated situations so and I would you know I would get together with a few trusted training partners put a timer on 
and you know start standing bump hands you know have someone scoring and, and, and I think that helped me a little bit so I'm not sure if that might help other people I would visualise things as well because I, I, I would find in the run up to the fight I could just by thinking myself onto the mat I could je- I could recreate yeah. that that feeling in your stomach which I think helps just yeah. if you do it a lot it becomes it becomes normal Nick used to talk about going to the venue before as well and just being familiar with the venue so if you're competing at you know um, I don't know the London Open or something and it's at Crystal Palace or wherever maybe just make sure you know where the venue is make sure you're familiar with the place and it's not something I've ever I've ever done myself but I've heard that that can be helpful uh, I think it's sometimes the unknown or the unpredictability of the situation that is precipitating a lot of the anxiety. Mm. Um, when you were when you were working as a doctor, you talked about having nerves. Did it ever spill over into affecting your performance? No, but the way that the certain way that my medical training was that when you first qualify, you're you're essentially a glorified admin worker, then <laughs> working ninety seven hours a week. You know, doing when you're a junior doctor, when you're a junior, yeah. you know, your very first year, you, 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 so you, you just you, left. You, say you, after your five years, you just left medical. You school, just left yeah. medical school, so a lot of what you're doing is just you know chasing blood results, booking investigations, you know, taking histories off patients, you know, and then getting those histories reviewed, and and then slowly over time you get trusted with a little bit more and a little bit more, and then someone shows you how to do something, and then you you add that you know add that into the things that you can do. So by the time that you get to the stage where you're running a cardiac arrest you've been working a long time, you're very familiar with the situation. So you're not just dumped in into that mix. Um, but I would suffer with anxiety outside of, of work. I was always fine when I was in that environment. So if I was it stood in front of a trauma team, I've got a patient who's you know, critically injured, fine. But driving into work, I might get anxious. I might suffer somatic symptoms of anxiety, you know, sweating, increased heart rate, you know, just, you know, that horrible feeling of anxiety, worrying about what might happen when I come in. And that got, that for me got worse towards the end, ironically, than it was at the beginning when I was younger. And I think some of that is when you're young, uh, nothing can go wrong, you're indestructible, you know, you, you know, everything's exciting. And then as you get older and situ- and, you know, you've been exposed to m- more situations more things going wrong more unpredictable variables you know you start to see where all the problems can be and you start to see where things can go wrong and you start to try and second guess those problems and you try to eliminate those problems from the scenario that you're in um, but it, it, it becomes quite overwhelming when you're aware of you know a hundred different variables that can happen in the background that can that can cause harm to a patient cause problems and, and you start to worry more and more about those things and for me it would affect me outside of my workplace but once I was in that workplace I was always fine with it I was always concentrating on the task at hand was, you, you know you never it's too much going on to be distracted by it so it's more that it was affecting your personal life rather than yeah it wasn't affecting my performance at work I don't think but it was definitely affecting my personal life yeah. that's probably the tough thing with a lot of people with stressful things is that they man- the, the, the job manages to get done they manage it they manage to keep it together yeah. but the person suffers I was perfectly functional yeah at work so you that's the thing you know you're, yeah. you're, being, you're, 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 you're providing the function being <laughs> yeah. paid for but as a human being yeah I was struggling I was struggling yeah I was struggling because 
you know, emerge. I mean, I, 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 I'm sure we talked about this last time, but emergency medicine is a really exciting, worthwhile career. You know, there's you're really genuinely providing a great service to humanity. You're, you're doing, you know, you're, you're helping people who are ill, or injured, or you know, have terrible things happening in their life, and you can be very positive. And you can be a very positive, have a very positive impact on, on you know that can be as simple as stitching up a wound or putting a shoulder back in. It's pretty positive, right? I've fallen over, my shoulder's dislocated, I'm in agony. Pop it back in, it's all good. You know, there's very few things that you can do in in in, in a working environment that can be as satisfying as doing something like that. And it can be a psychological intervention, or it could be a long-term chronic health intervention, whatever it is. It's great, but each of those. You know, over time, all of these tragedies, all of these children that you know that get injured or die, or you know, you see people coming in with their with their husband of forty years that's had a stroke and he's not going to pull through, or he's had a heart attack, and you see the devastating impact that all these things have on people's lives, and the and the enormous tragedy that is just the norm in the world every day that is happening in everyone's lives, and then it can be very difficult to switch that off and, and not. You know, ruminate on some of those things, some of those things that you've been exposed to, some of those things that you see. And that 25 year old that was, you know, excited about going in and, you know, treating the next trauma call and putting the next chest train in or putting the next central line in or maybe getting the opportunity to run a cardiac arrest today or do something exciting. You know, by the time you're 35 and you've got a family and you've seen all these, you've seen all the things that can go wrong, it, it, you start to get a, a slightly different perspective on it. And it can be, it can be quite overwhelming. For it was for me, it could be it could be quite overwhelming. Some of those things, and I would I would take things home, and I would think about awful things that had happened in the day, and you know, and, and feel bad for for the people that had been involved. And you know, obviously, yeah, you know, as any you know normal human being would, you know, if you see a mother that's lost a baby, you're gonna that's gonna affect you in a, in a terrible, terrible way. And and it, it just affected me more in my mid thirties than it did in my mid twenties. And it just, I think it was just continued to get worse and worse. And, and that was a, you know, certainly a, a motivation for me to move myself from that working environment. But you were saying last time that, that you, one of your ways of coping was going and doing jiu-jitsu. And yeah. then that became, yeah. became your job when you were well, able to leave medicine. But are there some people that um, cope with it well, do you think? Uh, you- I mean, I know a lot of people that were in my year in medical school who were struggling. Mm. A lot of people, um, but there are also people that, that thrive and, and they do fine. And look, all medical fields aren't e- you know aren't equally stressful. You know, being a clinic-based dermatologist is not as stressful as being the ITU reg on call or being an A and E consultant or you know or these sort of things or you know running an acute medical unit where you're taking unselected medical acutely sick patients in on a day-by-day basis. And I know I know of people that you know. For me, going to jiu-jitsu helped. And I think one of the reasons that going to jiu-jitsu helped is it switched off my my head. I was stopped thinking. You know, when you're having that role with people, I'm not worrying about what happened in my day. I'm worrying that the guy's going to choke me or break mm. my arm. And that's a fantastic distraction. A good thing to worry about. A good yeah, thing to worry about, thing right? Worry it's a very about. present It's very immediate. Point. It's very immediate. thing. And, and, and then also you get that... And then that, that... It's not just during that role. That would have a, uh, a knock-on effect maybe for the whole evening. And maybe part of the next day where everything just, 
you just worry less you just feel more centered and more balanced so you know it would definitely have that effect for me it would help me massively but I have friends who've just decided well I love medicine they don't do jiu-jitsu they don't have the opportunity to teach I was very lucky that I had this other thing that I could do that was totally different and they just decide okay I'm going to go and do something that's less stressful I might go and retrain as a GP or retrain as a dermatologist or, or, or do, do a different field general practice I think is enormously stressful anyway but don't get me start, I'm not sure that's the right way to, to move for, for a lower stress life but I know of people that have at least moved in, in that direction and gone away from something like maybe you know a surgical job where you're on call operating in the middle of the night to being a GP or something where you've got a more normal working pattern and they found that that was enough for them you know but for me, I loved jiu- I just loved jujitsu. I was, I was just all I was thinking about all the time was, how can I get to more jujitsu classes? What am I going to teach next time I do, you know, teach a class? You know, and and I had, I had that opportunity that came available to me, and and uh, I was very lucky. And you know, you do something that you, you enjoy, and it's not really working, is it? It's, no, I did a yeah. seven o'clock class this morning jujitsu, and the different. Actually, I never yeah. go. I never go. It's just, I mean, going really? at seven. Yeah. <laughs> But the way you, the difference, the way you feel, like I got back in time when my wife was getting ready to take the kids to school. Everyone's all stressed. I, you know, you just feel so, so chilled out. You know, I've just had this. I love training in the day. Yeah. Yeah, we, most of my classes that I teach and train at are in the evening. But Tuesdays I go up to Rogers, train with Maurizio in the day. And I'm just like on a different plane of existence for the rest of the day. I just feel mellow and happy and relaxed. And it's just a, it's just a phenomenal. A phenomenal yeah, well, I've, I've, I've realized I work from home a lot, and um, if I'm sitting busy work mid morning, and I think right, I see how much time I've got to do this work. Have I really got time to go and do an hour's jujitsu class? Because let's face it, it's two hours once you get yeah, out, out of your day. It's benefit. It's always, yeah. it's always a good idea. It's always a good idea because if you just sit there. I mean, my, my work's sitting on my ass, you know, yeah. and, and, and you can only do so much of that. And if you go out and you come back, you feel fantastic. You, you often you, get more done. You do. Because you're, you're, you're more relaxed, you're more able to, to focus on the task at hand, you know, you're not distracted. Um, and also I tell myself, I've got to do it anyway. Yeah. Because I've, you know, I have to exercise every day. You have to exercise every day. I've finally got this took my wife a little while to understand but you know you, people need to exercise every day we're, we're not meant to be sat down no doing nothing you, it's just you, not you can't, you can't do you can't do some sport on a Saturday and then do no. nothing it's just that's just no, not you're just going to get injured not, every Saturday yeah you're just so going to knacker yourself yeah. and, and, prob- and people that do that once a week sport it's probably then they'll go out drinking afterwards you know they'll always, yeah. it's, you've got to do stuff every, not, I mean five yeah. days a week six I mean, days a week you don't have to day. do it like an hours comp class every day you know I don't think that's wise either you know you know but you no you have to recover you, yeah you, you need you know I, I say a lot of mine a lot of mine's hot yoga at the you moment you have to I think do some sort of movement every yeah. day even on my rest day I'll probably go for a walk with the family or whatever you know and do something um, you know I have, usually Sundays I don't do anything in terms of I don't don't hit the bag don't swing a kettlebell don't do yoga don't don't do jujitsu the things I'm doing the other days but we might go to Box Hill and have a, an hour's walk around. You know, it's like active recovery, I guess. You know, um, I think because you've got that your bo- your body into that routine of wanting mm-hmm. to do healthy stuff. So if you've got a day you're not doing anything proper, you want to do you want to eat. Every now and again, okay. I'll have a day where I don't do anything at all. It's not often, but I just feel like a slob, and I just you know even just one day, I just feel 
just ugh. yeah you can't just sit around yeah. the house all day it's terrible it's terrible yeah. for you yeah exactly even if it's just a long walk yeah it's better it's just better than that do day. something you know and, uh, and just keep moving and sitting try to avoid sitting for yeah. like it's so bad for you how are you with eating and sleep oh we've got to get out of here I just yeah. got to go meet your wife haven't you I was going to so, ask you about your eating and sleep and and it, but um, we've got to go so very quickly uh, I think sleep is massively important and sleep wrecked me when I was a doctor because yeah. I was always working nights and lates and it took me years to recover from that uh, eating right um, I just eat clean Mm. Yeah, I tend to I, I, I do intermittent fast as well but we haven't got time to, to get into that um, and so I think it, for every, anyone that ever comes to me and says you know I want to take this supplement or I want to should I be taking this or should I be doing should I be taking creatine should I be doing this fix your sleep and your diet first and then think about spending money on extra supplements second that would be my advice and I think those I think sleep so important Sleep's really weird. Uh, since we last met, mm. I read that book, uh, Professor Matthew Walker, Walker yeah. and, and, and he just, he, I, I've been recommending to everyone, just read the first few pages yeah. that are on Amazon because you don't need to get into all the no. detail. You just need that he yeah. lists all the shit it can do to you. I mean, I, you know, my, my sleep pattern is still somewhat disrupted by 15 years of night work. And that was, and is it's it? almost five years ago that I left. Really? Much better. Um, so what, you wake up, I just yeah wake up early because I'm you know or I, you know just for years and years and years I was just not getting enough sleep because I was constantly changing my sleep pattern so I tend to you know on average I would say six and a half to seven and a half hours is what I'm getting at the moment because that, that's about what I'm on that's, yeah. that's getting into the okay territory getting into the okay could, could you yeah I, it's rare for me to drop less than six if you now because yeah. I used to do it every night I was yeah. not doing as, things as traumatic as you, as you but I was in newspaper offices mm. and I was doing six, yeah. mostly 6am shifts so yeah. I'd get up at half four yeah. but I'd go to bed at normal time yeah normal time you know and I mean for years for years I was getting by on or when I was doing nights it would be between two to five hours of sleep that I would get per shift and my average sleep was probably four or five hours when I was a doctor I remember doing it a couple of times. It was, I remember I was I was doing shift work in mm. different papers, and I remember fi- finishing at two o'clock yeah. at one place, going home, and on a starting another one at six. Yeah. So I just remember going home, lying on my bed, shutting my eyes for half an hour. Well, I mean, just... I would finish the night shift, and I would get home, and you'd be tired, exhausted. I would sleep, and then I would wake up like an hour or two hours later, and I would be wide awake because it's lunchtime and it's sunny. Mm. And it's the middle of the day. And by the end of a week of nights, I would be getting maybe five hours. And I would start to adapt. And then you'd go back to days. And then you're in it's jet lag. You're in the other. Mm. So it's just, you, you know, it's, shift work is not good for you. Well, it's amazing how few people have not got the message that about sleep. You know, mm-hmm. but it's almost, I mean, I've been on business trips where they've organized late things. Yeah. And then I'll, we're starting at seven o'clock tomorrow. So you've. So you've organised yeah. something that's going to be detrimental to our health. Thank you very, thank you very much. You've not given yeah. us enough time. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I think you know, if you look at all the epidemiological data, heart disease, stroke, cancer, there's all there's a well, strong association. Got, I mean, he, Alzheimer's. In that, he uses yeah. Thatcher as an example yeah. in that book. You know, she was always the one. Oh, she only needs. Yeah. Four, oh, what well, needs? Look, she could get by yeah and then yeah. she'd get you get Alzheimer's yeah, I mean, not, was it because of that I mean who knows you know, but, uh, yeah. it's hardly a, it's hardly an example of no get, get good sleep yeah good sleep especially if you've 
you know, had a hard roll. You know, you had a hard session that night. You know, try and rehydrate, relax a little bit, stretch a little bit, and then try and get good sleep. But it is hard after you train in the evening as well. Definitely, yeah. we're gonna do that today. Relax, take it easy, Mark Barton. It's Kingston Jiu-Jitsu Kingston Jiu-Jitsu. Maurizio Gomez Legacy. Yeah, uh, we're kingstonjiu-jitsu.com. We still haven't had that role. We'll have to come do over, it. Come so over anytime. I'm, I'm teaching tonight, so you can come tonight if you want. Oh, you've trained this morning, haven't you? Trained this morning. Let's yeah. not go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again to Mark Barton. Find out more about his wonderful jiu-jitsu school at kingstonjujitsu.com. That's kingstonjujitsu.com. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast on Instagram. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.